It's time for the Comic Bing Comic Book Podcast. The podcast you look forward to for all of your news and reviews of the best comic books hitting stands. Whether it's DC, Batman, Woman, Marvel, Spider-Man, Image, Spawn, Saga, Boom, Once and Future, Power Rangers, or whatever book or publisher you follow. We cover them all here. This is the place for you. That's right. It's for everyone. This is the Comic Bin Comic Book Podcast. Let's get it. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Comic Bin Comic Book Podcast. This is going to be Tales from the Dollar Box. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, some back issues in the world of comic books this episode. And to do that, I've invited a good friend of mine. I've invited my friend Ian Miller from the Batman Universe. He is one of the co-hosts with myself and Steph on the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome, Ian. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. You know, Ian and I, we always are on the polar opposites when it comes to our loves of certain characters. And one of those characters is the person Batgirl. So for this episode, he and I are going to be looking at individual Batgirl series. I am going to take... Batgirl Volume 1, which features Cassandra Kane. I'm going to take that first arc, which is the first six it, which is the first six issues. And Ian is going to do Batgirl Volume 3, which features the person he claims is the best Batgirl, Stephanie Brown. And so he'll be looking at the first arc of that, which was which was the first four issues of that series. So before we begin, Ian. Tell us a little bit about yourself for those who, for some reason, don't listen to us on the comic podcast. Well, first of all, obviously, you should listen to the Batman Universe Comics podcast because it's a great cast with Theo on it. I got started in comics back in about 2005 when Batman Begins came out. I'd read a couple comics in the library before that, mostly from things like Bruce Wayne Murderer and... Even a couple of No Man's Land issues just as they came in from the library. But Batman Begins prompted me to go to the bookstore. Uh, I went to school in Tennessee, even though I am from Minnesota. And I would walk to the bookstore, which is about an hour away from... No, not an hour. Like a mile away from campus. And they had benches where you could sit and read. And uh, really, this was back when comics were really becoming big in bookstores. So I would read... Um, the trades. And one of the first ones I remember reading was War Games, which got me on the side of Stephanie Brown, but also got rid of her for four years. I also read Hush around that same time, Astonishing X-Men by Joss Whedon and John Cassidy, and a lot of stuff. I mean, basically, if it was coming out in trade in around 2005 to 2008, I was reading it. Also fell in love with Birds of Prey by Gail Simone. It was another great series. Um, in 2011, the New 52 hit, and I kind of stopped reading DC Comics just because I was just not enjoying what they were doing. I came back in 2014 when James Tyne IV reintroduced Cassandra and Stephanie in Batman Eternal and Batman and Robin Eternal. And I've been a contributor to the TVU since uh, Batman and Robin Eternal. I volunteered to write the reviews for that series and started guest hosting the podcast a year or so after that. And then got onto the main cast as a regular cast member. And it's been 
truly fantastic. I love Rebirth. I'm really loving Infinite Frontier. I think both of those events have really given us a lot of great DC comics. Yeah, I totally agree. I've been enjoying what DC overall has done with regards to material and content since Rebirth. You know, like, like you, when it came to the New 52, I was just... I was just out of it all. I was collecting Batman simply because I collected Batman, but I was, I wasn't everybody knows who knows me knows. I am not a Scott Snyder fan. I did not truly enjoy his run on Batman, but I collected it simply because I've always collected Batman, but I truly enjoyed what we initially got with rebirth. It kind of went off the rails as they made these adjustments with, the departure of Jeff Johns and then the advent of the Bendis era era and all the changes with the books that, you know, he coming on caused and all the delays with, with Doomsday Clock and it, it truly ruined what was really good with regards to Rebirth. But I'm I'm enjoying what they've done thus far with Infinite Frontier and, and hope it continues and, and I've definitely been enjoying what we've been getting you know as I we've been discussing on the comic cast many a times what they've been doing with the Batman universe it, it it has that sense of uniformity that it's been missing for so long agreed so outside of Batman and the Batman universe what else are you reading in the world of comics in the world of comics, I actually just read the Infinite Frontier Secret Files, just caught up with those, and I really liked the uh, Jade and Obsidian story they just did. I really liked Jade back when she was, you know, dating Kyle Rayner. She's a very cool character with connections to both Kyle and Alan, her father, Alan Scott, the first Green Lantern. And so seeing her back and hopefully setting up for a really cool storyline is really cool and getting to know Obsidian. I really only knew Obsidian through... Um, Manhunter by Mark Andreco, so I hadn't really read a lot of his stuff outside of that, but he seems really cool. Uh, reminded me a lot of uh, Cloak from uh, Cloak and Dagger. For me, outside of outside of TBU right now, I am actually reading a lot of indie books. So I am reading several stories from Boom, Seven Secrets, Once in Future. Uh, several books from Image. I'm really, really, really enjoying Shadecraft from Joe Henderson and one of your favorite artists, Lee Garbert. Uh, that is yes. That is, for those who may have read their Skywood series from a few years ago, which was absolutely great and wonderful, and it, it was definitely deserving of the Eisner that it was nominated for. Shadecraft is almost completely opposite of that as you go into this horror-centric story. Uh, it's definitely more dark than what you saw in what you saw in Skywood, but it is still very good. And I think it lends more to what Henderson does in the world of TV as the uh, showrunner for Lucifer. So he's able to make it a little bit more dark, which I think suits suits his suits his his strengths and you definitely can't you definitely cannot 
forget this style of art from Lee Garbert. And, you know, as we talk about volume three of Batgirl, you know, there were some things that I truly noticed about his art then as it is now. So I'll be making those comments uh, once we get to that story or once we get to that point. But that's what I'm reading. So I'm doing it for some reason. I have been more of an indie person as of late. I forgot to mention, I've been reading Christopher Priest's uh, U.S. Agent. And even though I haven't watched Falcon and Winter Soldier, I really loved just how complicated he made the whole small town being invaded by military industrial complex and the various people who have been Captain America fighting each other. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, so that was actually a really good mini as well, and you know it came out just in time for the for for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which of course he had a major part in. But I would like to see more of this, and and it would be interesting to see where he shows up again, whether it's on TV or in comics, because U.S. Agent is just one of those kooky characters that one of those kooky characters that you could easily fall in love with. Yep. And Christopher Priest made me do it. (laughs) He just he just seems to do that. I mean, I was not he does. I was not a Deathstroke fan until you mentioned what he was doing on that book and I picked up and read that first issue and I want to say it was maybe issue 15 or 16 and I was like, oh my God, this is great. Oh man. When he was when he was with Power Girl with Tanya, that was such a fantastic arc. Oh, it was a wonderful arc. I mean, the only the only thing I did not like about how the series ended was that they did not find a way to bring her back. I mean, I hope. Yeah, it's because DC didn't let him do the miniseries he wanted to. Yeah, I, I am hoping that somewhere along the way during Infinite Frontier that we can find a way to bring Tanya back because she is she is such a great character. Yeah, she had so much richness. It was such a great such a great setup for a series where she and the original Power Girl team up. Can't understand why DC didn't just do it. Come on, it's right there. And then me being being the messy person that I am, I wanted to come back just to set up a love triangle with Amico and Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally see it. I could totally see it. So before we get into our discussions of that girl, just some quick news. So over at DC, Alyssa Wong, who actually is the current writer of Dr. Alpha, the Star Wars series, uh, she is working on a secret project for DC. Now, Alyssa did one of the stories in the Festival of Heroes that Asian superhero celebration DC put out a few weeks ago, but now she's working on a secret project. And from the rumors, she is doing work with some of the Batman team. So she's been meeting with Batman editorial. So it will be interesting to see what that story will be. Which was her story in Festival of Heroes? Uh, that she did the uh, she did family dinner. Oh, that was actually pretty nice. Yeah, it was a pretty nice story. Yeah, the one with uh, Grace Choi. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the Black Lightning family. Yes. So it will it will definitely be interesting to see what she does. Hmm. Wondering minds want to know. Of course, we always do. 
So, as I mentioned a few episodes ago, John Romita Jr. is heading back to Marvel. And one of the projects that they finally revealed at Marvel that he's going to be working on is the 60th anniversary of the Fantastic Four. And he's going to be doing a few of the covers as well as some of the work in Fantastic Four number 35, which is the issue that is going to be celebrating the 60 years that the first family of comics have been out. So he'll be, they'll be celebrating the anniversary of Fantastic Four number one in August. So Marvel posted some pages to preview on their website and it includes uh, Ramita drawing Kang, the Conqueror. So it'll be interesting to see how that story plays out again. Not a huge fan of John Romita, especially these days. Back in the day, I was definitely a, a bigger fan of his, but not right now. Any thoughts, Ian? Yeah, he's been a lot more inconsistent. I still enjoy a lot of what he does, but unfortunately, it's like I'll like one issue and then I'll dislike the next issue. It's never a thing where I do a whole arc of his and I'm like, oh man, every issue of that slapped artistically. But, you know, back in the early 2000s when he was on Spider-Man with J. Michael Straczynski, he was he was, was the beast. It was great. I actually enjoyed his run with Straczynski on, on Spider-Man. Again, I was definitely collecting it back in the day, back before the days of Dan Slott. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just maybe it's maybe it's the word that you use just inconsistent that just turns me off to him these days. So speaking of Kang the Conqueror, he is getting a series from Marvel. And of course, it'll be titled Kang the Conqueror. And you see, it's going to be written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. So Kang the Conqueror will be released August the 18th from Marvel. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, Again, they, they posted some preview pages again on their website. Again, just the art. No, no dialogue. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And again, you know, Kang is back because he's going to play a major role in the upcoming Ant-Man series. He's going to be the big bad. So Kang the Conqueror is back. And that is it for the news. So we are going to kick things off and I will go first in discussing Batgirl Volume 1. And Batgirl Volume 1... I find it funny that the first volume of Batgirl actually didn't feature Babs, you know, so that there kind of drew me a full little bit of a loop. It was written by Kelly Puckett and Scott Peterson and art was by Damian Scott. And the first the first arc basically picks up after her first appearance in No Man's Land and she is being mentored by Barbara Gordon in her role as Oracle and we see two types of Cassandra at least I see two types of Cassandra in this first arc there's the Cassandra who is the protege of David Kane you know the silent killer the person who knows what you're doing before you're even before you even do it and then there is the Cassandra who is becoming more and more influenced by the teachings of Batman and from Barbara even though she can't initially understand much of what Barbara is telling her verbally she can of course 
listen by body movement, which is which is her style and how she performs and how she's able to be the master, the master fighter, the master assassin that she was raised to be. But at some point in this arc, we get a different type of Cassandra who now is a little bit unsure of herself because she encounters a meta who basically the way he says it fixes her brain to where she now can speak to herself and she can understand words and she can understand when people speak to her but because she has this understanding now her fighting ability is somewhat limited she can't read she doesn't have that body language anymore that David Kane instilled in her from birth and that is a different cast and it's kind of the cast that we are seeing now uh, in the current continuity of Batman where she she has all of those skills but those skills have pretty much been buried and it's kind of been replaced by these things that Batman has taught her since she's joined the family after Batman and Robin Eternal uh, which I definitely enjoyed because of the focus it gave to Cass definitely enjoyed it better than Eternal sorry Ian but we see a but we see a Cassandra in here who is troubled learning to fight and learning to be the bat because or the, to be bat girl you know because she is constantly constantly being ridiculed by Batman for some reason he just seems for lack of better words like a dick in in this first arc you know even even after learning that Cassandra killed that drug lord when she was a little girl he was such such a character I'll just I'll just use that term but this first arc was pretty good as an introduction into who Cassandra is and where she came from and how she came to be and how she is becoming the character that we will eventually see in subsequent issues of the run and this run this first first volume of Batgirl I want to say had 60 issues 60 or 70 issues in it before it went to a second volume and I think that second volume still had some cast in it as well so Ian uh thoughts any thoughts on Batgirl volume one this arc is really fascinating when I was rereading it it's it doesn't quite have the same kind of writing that we expect today. When people talk about writing for the trade, I think they usually mean negative things. But this is basically a collection of three one-shots with a two-parter and then... Sorry, four one-shots and a two-parter and a couple of connecting threads. So you have the mystery of Cassandra's origin and the tape that Batman gets. And you have... The, the last two issues, which are Cassandra is given unwillingly the power of language and lost, loses the power of body reading. And all of these are key to understanding who Cassandra is, but it's it feels more piecemeal and fragmented. Whereas if you look at how Stephanie's arc is structured, 
all of the first 12 issues are part of the same Batgirl training arc, and each of them has a distinct team-up. So you have Stephanie teaming up with Barbara in the first arc, and then with Damien and Dick in the second arc, and then Red Robin in her crossover, and then then she has her first big mission to save the city. And so it's sort of a, a progression, whereas this... It reveals information in a very carefully controlled way, but it doesn't have the same sense of layering. The the bad guys aren't as connected to each other. Now, this does sort of change with the arc immediately following, which is the Lady Shiva arc. And that's probably the strongest part of the first three years of Cassandra's Batgirl run, is that arc running through with Cassandra and Lady Shiva. But these first six issues don't quite have that, although they do set it up. Yeah, if, if I was to if I was to definitely compare it to that second arc, definitely it's weaker. But I, I think what Puckett and Peterson were trying to do, which we don't need when we look at Steph's run, is introducing the character because we, we didn't get as much of an origin for her during No Man's Land. So I, I think they tried focusing a little bit too much on filling that story in uh, knowing that we didn't need that when it came to Steph because by the time Steph becomes Batgirl Steph has history she's been spoiler she's been Robin she's been dead and she's been reincarnated or as the story she tells she just faked her death but I think because Steph had more history by the time she picks up the Batgirl mantle it allows them to jump and, and, and have those layers that you don't necessarily get when you're trying to introduce a character that doesn't have as much history. Something that I thought was really interesting that I think I didn't know before I went back and checked is that David Kane was not around before Cassandra. He was introduced in the same comic in No Man's Land that introduced Cassandra herself. Yeah, I um, I found that weird as well. I, I found that interaction between he and Batman kind of weird as well. And maybe part of it is because of outside of this, the last time we really had a lot of interaction with David was in Batman and Robin Eternal. And he was somewhat of a different character. And maybe it was because of the interaction with Mother who I didn't find to be a strong character anyway, as far as a villain. Uh, but yeah. I actually agree with you, even though I like Batman and Robin Eternal. Mother is, in a lot of ways, the weakest part of the story. Definitely the weakest part of the story. I, I, I think they could have told that story with David and Cassandra by itself. And or if you had to have a true big bad controlling David, they could have come up with something a whole lot better but i mother was not the answer now something i i want to mention though is that a lot of people complain that james tynan is creating all these new characters and i look at batman no man's land and david kane is like exactly the same as ghost waker and i know that's one of the com- complaints about ghost makers that yes we have david kane we have henry ducard we have all these things but as much as I think David Kane is a really interesting character when connected with Cassandra, I don't think he's that interesting by himself. And I, I am that I agree with. Not sad that he's he's not really around in the New Fifty Two or Rebirth. 
but I do wonder if he's still around. I could see them. I would love to see JT just throw him out there. He and Shiva, you know, clashing over the love of their daughter. That'll be interesting. I could. I honestly don't don't think he's dead, despite what happened at the end of ba- Batman and Robin Eternal. Well, it is a comic book, so <laughs> even if he is really dead, he's not really dead unless he's Uncle Ben. Exactly. So, what were your thoughts on the art? I found it. I don't want to use the word amateurish. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't jive with me too much. It just. It looked almost childish, and and again, I'm speaking. I'm speaking of Volume One because Volume Three with with Lee Garbo is absolutely beautiful. But I don't know. There was just something. There was just something about these pages that didn't catch me. The story caught me more, and that was that's what kept me interested. But the art was not the greatest. It was okay, but it's just it wasn't the greatest at all. I actually tend to agree with you, and I'm really curious to hear what Donovan has to say when he hears this. I am a fan of Damien Scott, and I've grown to appreciate what he can do, but I think this was some of his earliest work, and I can... I can really tell he's not as comfortable with the sequential storytelling. There's some panel placements that are very, very awkward. There's a scene where Barbara asks Batman... No, Batman asks Barbara a question, and the panel right below that is not the next panel. So you have to actually, your eye does not naturally move to the right panel. And so the conversation has the wrong sequence when you're reading it. And I think that's just because he wasn't as experienced. And I think the same goes for the way he draws faces. I read a little bit ahead into the Shiva arc, and it was really hard for me to tell the difference between his Shiva and his Cassandra. Yeah, I think especially it, when it was just a close up of their faces. Yeah, I think it, I think it was that sequence where Babs threatened Bruce, you know, to that if he was gonna badger badger cast the way he was, that he just needed to not be around. Because again, like I said, I I was not crazy about how they voiced Bruce in that first arc. He was re- at least in the in the first few issues of the arc, he was really a jerk to Cassandra. You know, despite the fact that she saved, you know, she tried to save the the guy who ended up dying. You know, he considered her a failure for that and ridiculed her for that, even though you know she was able to save others and she was able to get the bad guys. You know, but because the guy died, he considered the mission a failure, and that was just crew for lack of better words i completely agree that was very much early 2000s bat jerk where there's no tolerance for failure yeah i did not and that culminates of course in war games when you know he fires stephanie and she desperately tries to earn back his approval and dies in the process so unfortunately that period for all that there's a lot of really great stuff including this Batgirl series batman's characterization isn't my favorite part yeah it's 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 not good at all I did like, there was one great, great sequence between Bruce and Barbara. And it's when he asked Barbara, who does she remind you of in the way she reacts, in the way she thinks? And she, and Barbara answers, you. And that's the thing I hold on even through the darkness of his characterization. He loves Cass because he knows the guilt and the darkness and the obsession that drives her is also what drives him in a way that it none of the other Bat family understand. And I've always loved that special connection he has between Cass and Bruce. Yeah, for me, I, the favorite, my favorite part, and it was definitely in that 
first issue was when again he's ridiculing staff. I mean, he's ridiculing Cass, and he's saying you're off, you're you're out of sync. You know, you need to get it back together. And before you know it, his mouth is bleeding because she didn't she didn't put something on him, and you know it causes him to have that smirk that he's always known to have. That really that really put a smile on my face. That's the that's the Cassandra Kane. I've always loved the Cassandra Kane that will put you on your butt before you you even know it. Yeah, he basically told her she was out of sh- shape and she needed to. And before he can finish the sentence, he was spitting up blood. <laughs> I am curious what kind of injury would cause you to spit up blood like that. That seems kind of serious, especially as quick as it was done. I mean, there was. And again, you don't know because it's in between panel land. It's it's. He's talking, he coughs, and next thing you know, there's blood. So you don't know what she's doing while he's standing there. But it was very funny. That that's the Cassandra I've always loved. And in this in this series, Cassandra is seventeen, I believe. So she is she is not the same age because I think she's what? She's sixteen in the current continuity? Yeah, cast used to be about a year or so older than Steph and about two years older than Tim. And now she's about the same age as Tim and a year younger than Steph. Yeah. So it's unfortunate they've lost a bit of her age. Now, I have no idea what they're currently doing. After Doomsday Clock and Infant Frontier, they might just pop her back to her old age, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I, I don't know, but I remember her. She was definitely older in this run because eventually she got to outsiders and i remember there was a few issues in outsiders where she's doing grown woman stuff walking around the apartment in front of grace and nessa naked and they're like uh yeah this is not normal you know so i know she was definitely older and and i see here she's 17 and in volume three cass is cass is not Cass. Uh, Steph is what going to college now, so she's seventeen. Yeah, she's nineteen. Nineteen. Fat girl. Okay. Volume three. Okay. So those are our thoughts on Batgirl Volume One, featuring Cassandra Kane. Let's now move on over to Volume Three, and I will let my friend Ian talk about how great Volume Three of Batgirl is, simply because it has Stephanie Brown in it. Well, I I do want to say that while I loved Steph um, because she was such an underdog in war games before Batgirl, it was Batgirl that turned me into a full-fledged fan of hers. So it's actually the other way around. I love Steph because Batgirl Volume 3 is so good. And I consider her my favorite Batgirl. I don't necessarily consider her the best because best is such a tricky thing to define. If it comes to hand-to-hand combat, I would really like to know the person who doesn't say Cass is the best, because she is the best hand-to-hand combatant. But in terms of just Steph's attitude of spunk and hope and determination and willingness to, you know, put it all on the line, I, I love it. And of course, Cass is absolutely a hero, and I love her too. It's just that they're very different characters, and they appeal to different parts of a reader. This first four issues... It contains two little arcs. There's the first three issues called Point of New Origin, and then the fourth issue, which is called Field Test. And the first three issues are where Stephanie has been back for a little bit after her vacation in Africa to recover from her quote-unquote death. 
at the hands of Black Mask in war games. And she's been um, sneaking outside to do spoiler heroics with Cassandra as Batgirl. But when Batman dies in Batman R.I.P., Cassandra leaves. And I do want to chat with you about that section because I think it's interesting. And I, we, we might disagree. I have in, some thoughts on Cassandra there. Um, but Cassandra leaves and gives Batgirl, uh, gives Stephanie the Batgirl suit. And so Stephanie, who has always loved the idea of being a, a name brand hero. She loved being Robin and she loves being Batgirl because people just don't respect spoiler and they respect Batgirl and Robin. So she takes on the Batgirl mantle, but that makes Barbara Gordon, the original Batgirl, very angry. And she visits Stephanie at home and gives her a whole lecture about how she used her faked autopsy photos to convince Misfit not to be Batgirl. I love how that issue ended with, hi, yeah, mom's still at work. Uh, let's talk. You want some waffles? <laughs> and Stephanie thinks I should have done my homework. I I love the relationship between Babs and Steph because it starts off very rough. Because Babs is very angry after the breakup of the Birds of Prey and um, the events of the three-issue miniseries Oracle the Cure, which was a very... I don't like that miniseries, but I like the fact that Brian Q. Miller took where Babs was as a character and developed her from that instead of just ignoring it. So Steph and Babs are both seeing this uptick of violence in Gotham that's fueled by a drug called Thrill. And they find out that Thrill is created by Scarecrow. So Steph actually has to go into Scarecrow's lair and face him one-on-one after he has dosed her with this drug. And she hallucinates Scarecrow as both Tim Drake, her ex-boyfriend, and herself as spoiler. And both of them tell her how she's not worthy. She's not a true hero. And that's the turning point of that arc where she says no. I stay for a second chance because she is screwed up with the war game storyline. And this is her chance to make Gotham a better place as a solo hero, not someone sidekick, not someone facing attention or excitement or just trying to get revenge on her father. This is something where she wants to make a positive difference. And she does. And that's what the fourth issue field test is all about. It's her first official night as Batgirl. She goes out and stops a bunch of crime. And a little girl named Nell Little, who I love, tells her, keep up the good work. And that's the first time anyone has ever told her that she's a good hero and a civilian. And so that's really important. And then she finds out that Livewire, the Superman villain, has been stealing power from Gotham. And thankfully, Barbara Gordon's protected her from electricity in her suit. So she just whacks Livewire across the face and turns her into the authorities. And so these four issues just show how Steph comes from a really dark place where she's kind of breaking a promise to her mother and still being a vigilante. And then it ends with her making a new promise to Barbara that she will protect Gotham. And she's not in this for fun. She's in this as a hero. And they're in this together. And so it's just really nicely structured. And Brian K. Miller, as a TV writer, has a really good sense of how to layer dialogue and echo lines. So it feels like it's all from the same issue. And I really like that. It's very cohesive. And I did not know he was a TV writer before getting into comics until you mentioned it a while back. So you can definitely see where that expertise comes into play, where he can he can build up a story issue by issue. 
So I do want to I do want to ask you the question. Sure. What do you think about Cassandra's passing the uh, costume to Stephanie? Now, in this arc, we find out later that there's more going on. But in this arc, what is your thought? Well, when you consider this arc alone, I see it again. At this point, she is she is devoted to Bruce and his cause. And now that he's dead, she she feels that she doesn't want to do that anymore and that she with him being gone she considered that she's failed him because he should still be alive i didn't like the way that it happened um but there were a lot of things about steph by that time that i was not crazy about because again at this point in time you know this is years after issue one and you know steph is now i mean Cass is now completely talking you know, she, she's not the, the same character that I was initially exposed to going back to No Man's Land. But as far as giving up to Kyle, you know, I felt she had reached that point to where, you know, Bruce is gone, you know, and she was doing all of this for him, you know, for the fact that he saved her. And now that he was gone, she felt she didn't want to do that anymore. A lot of people really don't like that because there's a scene in, I think, like somewhere around the 20s of Cass's Batgirl series where she says that she's fighting for the symbol instead of for Bruce the person. And my belief is that there is an out-of-universe explanation, which is that the editors said Cass has to go. And Brian Q. Miller asked why. And then he says, no, she has to go. Um, so he wrote the best he could. But I think if you look at her trajectory, this is right after the second Batgirl volume, which is called Redemption Road. And Cassandra fights her father, David Kane, and Slade Wilson, Deathstroke, who had been mind-controlling her into becoming a villain. And at the end of that miniseries, Bruce says that he's going to adopt her. She's going to be his daughter in law as well as in love. And I think that that was a turning point for her and it meant that Bruce's death hit her harder. So that whereas before she felt that her entire life was devoted to just the bat, to just being a hero, she'd grown a bit emotionally. But unfortunately, that left her vulnerable so that when Bruce died, that took more out of her than it would have before. So that's how I interpret that, even though I also look at the later revelation that Bruce and Cass had together planned that if Bruce disappeared, Cassandra would strike out on her own as part of what would become Batman Incorporated and give Stephanie the chance to become her own more confident hero. So if there's one thing I can say, especially comparing these two first arcs, and, and, and we'll definitely have more discussion later, but if there's one thing I can say is that Barbara Gordon is is a far better Oracle than she is Batgirl. And I know there's some Stella, please don't hate me for saying that. But I I far better enjoy Babs as Oracle than I do enjoy her in the cow. And I mean she is such a great mentor. And and I think that's why, you know, as of late we've been just crying and crying for DC to give us this Batgirl series with with 
Babs as Oracle. She's just she's just such a great mentor, and we see that with her interactions with both Cassandra and with Steph. I just absolutely yeah. love that. I I completely agree, and what I especially like is that in, you can see a progression. Babs is the mentor to Cass is younger she's less together she has less of herself this was actually just about a year into the birds of prey series so it wasn't she she hadn't formed that network network of close friends that would become um you know really a development for oracle as a leading character rather than as a supporting character because of a before, of course, in Suicide Squad and then in Justice League and many other series, Barbara was much more a supporting character. She would provide information and support. When she became the leader of the Birds of Prey, she was an active solo character, a character with goals and development. And I think through Batgirl as well, she became more like that. But there was a lot of really rough interactions. I mean, you have that um, interaction, I think, in issue five, when Cass... Um, comes through the room just as Barbara is saying to Nightwing, it's really hard to care for Cass. And that's just a really rough thing. And it's realistic. I think Stella, Stella's been actually working through these issues in her podcast. And she's said that Babs has uh, a really rough side and a realistic rough side as a mentor here. By the time she's Stephanie's mentor, she's been the leader of the Birds of Prey for, you know, seven years. Now, of course, not in-universe time, but seven years of comics. Uh, and she's already been Cassandra's mentor. So I think you see the stronger skill she has, the more mature side that she's developed as the leader of the Birds of Prey and as a Batgirl mentor. And I, I also, I would really love it if we saw a Batgirl series where she's really taking them under her wing and she's really giving them the benefit of her experience and her, her tactical and her detective skills and just teaching that to Stefan Cass. Because I think that would be a fantastic dynamic to see in an ongoing title rather than sort of on the side. Now, I love seeing it on the side, but I want a title, you know? Yes, I do too. I mean, because we're seeing, we're seeing hints of her rubbing off on them now because it was in that latest issue of batman where you know she she's helping Cass with what one thing and she has steph you know at her side because she wants her you know for other skills and other things that she has strength in so she is definitely a far greater teacher in in my opinion uh, and again that's not taken away for what she's done as batgirl but her her behind the computer screen as oracle is just absolutely great and and you can see that with how she interacts with both uh Steph and Cass in these first arcs and again even though it was begrudgingly done with with Steph initially you know eventually she comes around to it and becomes a great teacher completely agreed so i wanted to mention the art and again the art in in volume three is by lee garber you know who as of late has done again skywood with joe henderson and is now doing shadecraft but if again this is some early work but it looks quite different Ian I don't know if you read Skywood when it came out a few years ago but the art the, the art style there is some there is some similarity but there is definitely some difference and I don't know if it's if it's the coloring again it's not bad it's wonderful but it, it definitely it 
definitely look different. I actually think that Skyward has a much more polished look. I love what he does with Steph here, and he gives her so much character and appeal. But if you look at the way he draws um, the main character of Skyward, I, I did read several issues, but I can't remember her name. Um, she's just very consistent. She has a really consistent look, whereas his Steph could sometimes be a little inconsistent sometimes. Um, so I, I love seeing an artist who, you know, develops in their craft. And I would actually say that Damien Scott has also grown a lot in his art. He's recently done some covers and stuff, and I think that you see a lot more assuredness and a lot more uh, strength and shape choosing for faces that you didn't quite see in these first few issues of Batgirl. Great. So those are our two story arcs. So now, before we close things out, I got some questions I'm going to ask Ian. And so we, as I ask these questions, and I'm going to answer them as well, I, I do have the caveat, caveat of saying we have to put our biases aside as we as we answer these questions. So, Ian, first off, who had the stronger first arc? I've kind of hinted at my beliefs on this one. I think that in terms of structure, Steph had the stronger first arc. Cass had perhaps stronger elements at play with just the gradual revelation of her first kill, but the way it was presented was kind of uneven. So as an arc, I think Steph's had a better structure of building to the, the climax and then developing to the next stage of the story. I will agree, being the Cass fan that I am, but Steph definitely had a, a more polished first arc for many of the reasons Ian's already said. So, of of the Cass and Steph that we got in these two arcs, which character most closely resembles their current character in TBU? I have to say it's Cass. Cass in current, and, and you can argue that this might be because she was regressed a bit. Um, and so the fact that she resembles her early incarnation is because they've taken away some of her experience and her her age. But, you know, Brian Hill and James Tynan have really focused on Cass's language struggles, whereas when she was, you know, in her 20s, she was much more polished in her language. So the fact that they've reestablished that early halting speech of Cass's really makes her feel like that early version of Cass. Thankfully, I mean, this is one of my, my critiques of that first arc is I really don't like the thing where the mute, the, the meta powered person gives Cass speech. I understand why they did that structurally because they wanted to build in that fight with Shiva, but I don't think you had to do it that way. I think you could have written a different way to get Cassandra and Shiva at odds. So I, I prefer the fact that they've kept that speech difficulty, that learning difficulty, without the magic of a meta power to get rid of it. Steph, honestly, Steph feels more like her, her Dixon era self when she was in a Robin supporting character. She's very sassy. She's got a lot of anger to her. Whereas as Batgirl, she was a much more mature character because, of course, she was about three years older. So Steph does not quite feel like herself as Batgirl, whereas the current Cassandra does feel like herself in this early Batgirl. Yeah, she she's definitely the, she's definitely the more confident with the with the mantle on. And again, part of it, I think, is her exposure to Bruce, especially after Batman and Robin Eternal. 
but yeah, I, I also agree. Steph, I mean, Steph, Steph is a a different character. I mean, in this run, she wasn't the tech savvy person that she is in the current continuity. I mean, you know, back then, the tech savvy person was Tim, and in many ways, still is. But you know, they've kind of beefed up her skills in that area as well in this in this current continuity. But yeah, with cast things she's kind of retreaded or, or that's the word I'll use. She's kind of retreaded in her in her world of who she is. And I'm not all that crazy about it. But I understand why they may have done it. And like you, I, I knew that the reason why they so quickly gave her language was because they had to have dialogue, you know, and they had to have some type of dialogue between Batgirl, you know, and her being Batgirl. She couldn't just walk around listening to Babs all day and not other anything. So they had to at some point get her to have language and, the, and eventually the ability to speak. I do like that once JT finished his run on Detective Comics, that it kind of went back to where it kind of began with Cass, with her coming under the tutelage of Babs again. I would have loved to have seen that played out, but of course, you know, things changed and we didn't necessarily get that, at least not on page. All right, so this this was the questions that I was ready to really throw out. And this is going to be fun just to see what Ian has to say. All right, so a three-part question. Who is the one writer you want to see write on a Cassandra Cain solo series, a Stephanie Brown solo series, and a team book? And the caveat is you cannot use either Brian Q. Miller or Puckett or Peterson. So first up, Cass. Who's your solo writer? For Cass, I have to say, if you'd asked me this a year ago, I would not have said who I'm about to say. But um, Festival of Heroes and Detective Comics have shown me that Margot Tamaki, I think, could do a really good Cass solo series. So, And of course, her Wonder Woman run. I really like that. So for me, Mariko was my second choice. For Cass, my first choice, and I, I, I don't know why I thought you was going to pick this person also, but you didn't. But I actually picked Christopher Priest. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> I just think he has this ability to write. Cass is a dark character. She has a dark history. And I just think he could have played that history up so well for her, knowing his style of writing. I would have loved to have seen Christopher Priest get his hands on Cassandra. I agree completely. I just, I was thinking of people who are currently working at DC. Uh, <laughs> All right. So who is your Steph writer? Steph writer. This one's hard. Um, I do love James Tynan, but I, I see him more in the team, he likes to write those family interactions rather than the solo interactions. And so I, I'm i leaning towards wanting Tim Seeley as a writer for staff. Uh, the person that I selected to write 
cast, I mean, the right Steph is Kelly Thompson. And I, I absolutely love the work she did on Black Widow over at Marvel. And again, it's me going out of the DC universe again. But she would be my first choice. But if she was to say no, and again, this is going to make Ian flip. My second choice would be Vita Ayala. People may say, wait, what? Considering I absolutely hated the Batgirl story she did in Future State. But I think she could do a solo book with just Steph alone, given the time to learn the character. And I'm only saying that based on what she did in other series, particularly Livewire and the story she's currently doing with Children of the Atom. So I would give her a pass on Batgirls to see how she handles Steph. And I'm not saying that because I want her to ruin the character. I actually think Vida Ayala is a great writer. And I just, if, if, if I would give her a second chance, I would give her a second chance on, on Stephanie Brown. I could actually really see Kelly Thompson doing uh, stuff. Okay, so who does your team book? And again, this is Batgirl. This is not just this. This is this is the Batgirl series that you and I have been screaming for for the past year. Who who writes that book? I really want to say James Tynan, but I think I'm actually going to go with Tim Seeley again because I think he can do a really good team dynamic, as we saw with his Robin's one shot that he did. And he worked some of the better issues of um, Batman and Robin Eternal when he had Tim and um, Cass and Harper and all those people working together. So I think he's got a really good team dynamic. Oh, and his Grayson, his Grayson one um, series with Tom King, he had, you know, Dick working with Helena and Dick working with the Skull Girls. So I think he's got a really good sense of teacher-student dynamic and team dynamic. So I'm going to cheat a little, and I am going to say Marguerite Bennett, only because I think she's eventually going to get announced as the series writer after this is all said and done. So that's, that's my choice. It, I think she is a very good writer, especially when it comes to female characters. I think what really did in her run on Batwoman when she was writing Kate Kane was actually due to the influence of not only JT for the part of the arc that he was on, the part of the series that he was on, but then I also think that she got bogged down by editorial. And that just ruined the book because I followed that book for at least the first 15, 16 issues and, and before I gave up on it. But I think if she if I think if she was given the time to really play it out, I think she would do a great job on it. I think we're going to have a chance to see that. <laughs> yes. Urban Legends issue five, right? Issue five coming up. Um, July. So, do you think either character, either Cassandra or Barbara, do, could either character have been successful without Bab's interaction? Um, I really don't think so. I think you need that sense of 
mentorship and because the thing about Batgirl is that she doesn't she's not directly Batman's partner. And so Barbara as mentor gives her the new Batgirl a legitimacy, both in the case of Cassandra and um, Stephanie, because it gives that sense of history. Um, the Robin, of course, works directly with Batman, but the Batgirl is more independent. So to have a mentor who was the previous Batgirl just gives that foundation so much more strength. And I think she is a key to the success of both of those series. If I had to pick, if I had to pick a person who would have been successful, I think it would have been, it definitely would have been Steph, considering she had, she has history uh, as, as a hero and as a masked hero. Cass, I think, just would have been another failure, to say the least, especially considering the only other option as teacher would have been Bruce. And you, we saw how he was being a jerk to her. But yeah, neither one could have been the Batgirls we eventually got had it not been for their interaction with Barbara Gordon. Again, Barbara is so much better as Oracle and as a teacher than she is as Batgirl. And and that's not taking anything away from what she's done as Batgirl. But being there as a teacher to those to those two has just been absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, especially because, you know, Steph had been around for about 15 years by the time she became Batgirl because Cass had been around for less than 12 months. Right. So giving her that establishment with Barbara so committed to mentoring her, I think, really gives that series weight. I agree. So who do you prefer? The Cass of today or yesterday? Or are they the same? Well, as I said, I think that Cass kind of is the same as her her first year as Batgirl. Um, she's not the same as Black Bat. She's not the same as the character who's been through fire uh, and become really a leader and her own her own person. She's still kind of tentative today. Um, so I don't really have a preference. I, honestly, if I had a preference, it would be for Black Bat, just because she was her own person and she had so much authority. And these days she doesn't have that much authority. Um, but I do love, I love all of them. I love Cast of Yesterday, Cast of Today, and Black Bat. And see, I, for, for me, some, some, somehow I consider her role as Black Bat to kind of be retcon was it really retcon after Batman and Robin Eternal? It just seemed that way because I don't think she was mentioned as was she mentioned as being a part of Batman Inc. in Eternal? I don't think so. No. In Eternal she's mentioned as being um she first shows up in Batman Endgame. Um and it's uh <laughs> it's I don't know how they actually make the timeline work anymore, but yeah, um, it, it, it just seemed that when once we got to Bat Batman and Robin Eternal, and she's back with her dad again, she's back under David Kane's influence, and it just seems as if that just did away with her role as Black Bat in Batman Inc. All right, so. Do you prefer the Steph of yesterday or today? 
Or do you not care? You just love her. This is a really hard question. I have made the choice to love them all equally. Um, <laughs> but if you gave me unlimited money, you know that I would offer Brian Q. Miller a million dollars to write a, uh, uh, a Steph ongoing for, you know, 10 years. Um, and I would have her be Batgirl. And I would actually probably want him to write, uh, you know, Batgirls. I would want him to team them up with uh, Babs as leader and Cass as sister. Yeah, if if I had to choose, I would prefer the stuff of yesterday, especially because of the fact that today she's she's really hidden. She's really hidden behind the rest of the Bat family. You know, you you saw it even in the the latest issue of Batman. You know, she was there for that one or two panels next to next to Babs, and. He, with the Bat family the way it is right now, you don't see much of her. So I would much rather have Steph on her own with, you know, the leadership of or the, the mentorship of Babs um, doing her thing, which is why I think having that Batgirls book would be absolutely wonderful because it would be it would it would allow them to do stuff on their own, meaning her and Cass and 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 allow them to have some limelight that I'm sure you would agree they all deserve, you know, and I know I mentioned in, in the comic cast, even Babs being Oracle in the pages of Batman seems somewhat underutilized. And I think just having those three together would just give them the limelight that they deserve. Yeah, I agree. I want, I want that Batgirl series to happen so badly. So, so outside of the Batgirl series that I honestly hope is coming after, after this issue of urban legends, what else do we want? What do we want next for our two favorite Batgirls? Um, I mean, honestly, I would like them to be involved in serious ways in a major Batman crossover. So we James Tynan is nice because he loves to include everyone he can. So in Joker War, everyone pretty much showed up. There were a couple of missions, but for the most part, everyone showed up. But nobody really got a person-specific thing to do except Babs became Oracle and Nightwing was Nightwing again. So those were nice, but... I guess you could say Tim got a nice insult moment when Harley called him Duck Boy, but none of them quite got a moment that was like, if you remember way back in Joker Last Lap by Chuck Dixon and Scott Beatty, that crossover, um, in the Batgirl issue, Steph and Cass had their own issue where they fought a Jokerized villain, and Cass accidentally stopped his heart, and she didn't know how to do CPR. And so Steph had to do the CPR and save the person. And Steph comforted Cass because Cass, of course, never wants to kill again. And the that kind of thing 
is connected to an event, but is very specific to their characters, very specific to what's going on in their lives and their motivations. And that's the kind of thing I'd like to see. I love it when they show up in, in group things, but I'd like to see them involved in a way that highlights who they are as characters so that people have more than just a panel where they show up looking cool. And not that I'm against them showing up looking cool for a panel, but I'd like a bit more, something that gives them a chance to win over new fans. So what do I want next? What I would like to see in this upcoming Batgirl series, I'm claiming it, is I would like to see, and people may call me crazy for saying this, but I would like to see more of Tim Drake so that we could see he and Steph build on their relationship. Because every time we do see him, it's always... You know, except for that one issue of Young Justice that was really focused on them. We don't get it as much. He, he, he came back from the dead. They hugged, they kissed. The next thing you know, Tim's off to college and Steph is going with him. And we don't see much of that anymore until, again, they come back for Young Justice. So I want to see that relationship develop and build more but along that same line and i know this will never happen but if it does hmm but i would like to see a love interest for cassandra and see where that goes i know at at one point doing outsiders brian hill kept teasing at least in my opinion, he kept teasing at the idea of Duke and Cassandra, which I absolutely hate and do not want to see ever. But wait, wait, wait. But what if Brandon Thomas wrote Duke and Cass as a romantic relationship? No, don't put me in that predicament. Please, <laughs> please don't. Do not put me in that predicament because I absolutely want, and we're getting Brandon Thomas writing outsiders, but I do not yes. want... Yes. I do not want to see Duke. Duke Thomas is a player, and every time he gets with something, <laughs> someone, something happens. So, no, he needs to stay far away from Cassandra Cain. But I it is it is true that he's had way too many love interests for a short amount of time. Yeah, so I, but I would like to see Cassandra develop that type of relationship, uh, have a love interest. We, we, we've seen her develop a lot as a character and we've seen her develop in many different ways, but I would like to see her develop a love interest. And, and, you know, it's kind of funny. There was the, uh, the story in the celebration of heroes where, you know, she saves the guy and, you know, she, she, dons her regular gear to go and meet him at the uh the boy shop you know and she goes and gets face to face and that that one panel where he and her are staring each other in the eyes they're just like oh it's so wonderful just so wonderful i w- so i would love to see cassandra develop a a love interest and and a relationship from that standpoint that's interesting because I've always seen Cassandra as just so committed to the mission. She's a lot like Scott Snyder's Batman in that, you know, the mission overrides all her other relationships. I would definitely be intrigued to see Cass in a romantic relationship, but it's hard for me to imagine. We shall see. We shall.
So as we close things out here at the Comic Bin, Ian, where can fellow fans find you? Where are you on social media? I'm on Twitter at IBM Miller. And I'm also, of course, on the Batman Universe Comics podcast. I'm all over the Batman Universe Comics um, Discord, always talking about comics there with Theo. <laughs> and we get into all these fights about uh, who's better and all these stuff. And uh, we're currently trying to say yes and no in different languages on the Discord, which is hilarious. <laughs> and of course, you can find me on Twitter as well at BatmanFan underscore for life. Uh, so that is going to do it for this episode of the Comic Ben Comic Book Podcast. I want to thank my guest, Ian, for joining me for this. I absolutely enjoyed this. This was wonderful talking about two of our favorite characters. Uh, you know, I've grown to move beyond just tolerating Steph as a character and actually enjoying her as a character, uh, particularly in the second arc, as Ian mentioned, of her run where she has the she has the job of entertaining my favorite Robin, who is Damian Wayne. So <laughs> that that one out there made me a fan of Stephanie Brown. But Ian, again, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. So that is going to do it for this episode. I will see you all next time. Thanks again for listening to the Comic Ben Comic Book Podcast. Until we meet again, enjoy those comics.